it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thank Kilmeade. Thank you for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour, the co-host of Fox and Friends First, Miss Everything. Uh, she'll be here live to go over the news that's breaking. It matters so much to all of you at home. There's nobody I know who's not affected by the policies of this administration, and for the most part, not good. Uh, we'll go over some poll numbers. Do you believe this? Head-to-head, Donald Trump has a higher approval rating than Joe Biden, despite the fact you have January 6th. Incredible. Going on right now, I might add. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I find it quite interesting with the Fox News polling that showed on the question of which party is doing a better job preserving democracy, that Republicans actually best Democrats. They're not winning on that. And that's been their whole point with the January 6th committee. That was their point with impeaching President Trump twice. And and that's not working. Uh, Katie Pavlich talking about the January 6th hearings, what we now know and we didn't know last week and what it meant for the fate of Donald Trump. Polls show despite all that, Trump more popular than Joe Biden. What does that mean for running in 2024 while Governor DeSantis continues to collect momentum? Number two. Look, if you go back different administrations, they've all tried to improve border security, some more than others, I would say. This is the first administration where it's actually taking several steps backwards. We're not improving anything along that border. It's getting worse. And they're not even trying. One year since VP Harris made her first border visit, and it's now fully broken. Records, uh, record illegals, record getaways, record fentanyl and illegal drugs storming Texas and Arizona and affecting all 50 states. In my view, this is impeachable. Yet they use their time to punish agents on horses, wrangling illegals at the border. This should not stand. Number one. There are several culprits. There's Biden. $1,400 checks, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it. So you get inflation. The Fed, Mm -hmm. which also completely blew it. There's nothing good to say about it. Steve Radner, an advisor to Obama, weighing in on President Biden. He does his first sit-down in four months and tries to explain away inflation, the market drop, gas prices, and the national glum mood. We look at his explanation and the state of our economy and how it's affecting you right now. So let's get into it. Josh Bloke was the guy. Josh Bloke was the guy from the AP you sat down with. He sits down knowing this, that Joe Biden's got 39% approval rating. Two in 10 Americans believe we're heading in the right direction. And my question is, who are those two? I was amazed at the sit-down because Joe Biden doesn't take responsibility for anything. And it's not even not even showing any finesse. He insists the recession is not inevitable. I hope he's right. He admits Americans are really, really down and need mentally mental health. Uh, help and calls Republican claims that he caused inflation bizarre, bizarre, really. He said zero evidence for that claim, noting that other countries have endured higher prices, higher uh, uh, higher inflation rates, uh, higher prices. Their economies reopened slower, and people have become vaccinated than us. 
Still, Biden acknowledged that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's contention that the spending had been limited inflationary effect was wrong. Quote, you can argue whether or not it had a marginal or minor impact on inflation. I don't think it did. And most economists do not think it did. But the idea that it caused inflation is bizarre. What are you talking about? Even we can all figure this out. We were coming out of the pandemic, a million shots in arms. The, all the vaccination uh, shots were there. It was just a matter of organizing the rollout. You did a good job rolling it out. By July, we're all done. Everybody just about there was going to get it without any type of prodding. We're getting it done. You didn't need $1.9 trillion, didn't need to extend unemployment insurance. You didn't need $1,400 stimulus checks. And because that was added to the system, we had a system that was bloated for no reason. Money floating around. And then they, people started ordering, but the supply chain was not ready to take these orders. Here's Steve Ratner, cut three. There uh, are several culprits. There's Biden and what he's done. And it's not irrelevant, but it's not. And, the, what, and, it, and what is that? Well, that is all the spending, basically. Yeah, the, 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 American the, the Rescue relief, Plan, the, relief the $1,400 tax, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot that's on the sidelines. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it, so you get inflation. Yeah. Uh, and as we talked about the other day, left to its own devices, the administration would have proposed another $4 trillion of programs with taxes, but nonetheless, they right. still would have uh, had. But, but that's one issue. The second issue, which we'll talk about, is the Fed, mm-hmm. which also completely blew it completely blew it in a way that I haven't seen in 40 years from the Fed. I love the Fed, but there's nothing good to say about it. Okay. That is an Obama economic advisor. But he says nobody, none of the economists, remember those Nobel Prize winning economists that all said this rescue plan was fantastic and Build Back Better would be awesome? Bad news. Build Back Better, can you imagine $5 trillion in our system? Not that we can back it up. It's not on a gold standard. We will actually print it up and just put it out into all these social programs that would be unsustainable when the pandemic ended. Actually, unsustainable because we had to come up with the money while nobody worked. But not to confuse the issue too much, Politico has a story that Manchin and Schumer are talking about tax rate hikes and more social programs on child care and all things that are unaffordable. Not in the utopia world that... Joe Biden's in, but in the real world. But now, now Joe Manchin's talking to Chuck Schumer. Please make this be fake news. So he went on to say that when it comes to inflation, the whole world's experiencing inflation. Really? And it's higher than and we and it's higher than ours. Really? That might be true, except for China, Japan, Germany, Italy, France, Saudi Arabia, and India. Need I go on? It is 8.6%. These other nations, substantially less. Maybe Germany's close at 7.9%. Inflation's at a 40-year high. Why can't he acknowledge that? Instead, I blame Republicans for not passing Bill Back Better. Next, I blame oil and gas companies for taking in windfall profits and not refining more. Here's uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre. On why President Biden keeps saying that we have low inflation compared to everybody else. Cut one. He says that inflation is worse everywhere but here. That's not true. U.S. has worse inflation than Germany, France, Japan, Canada, India, Italy, Saudi Arabia. Well, so why is he saying that? I think we, what we are saying is that uh, 
when you talk about inflation, it is a global thing. And it is not just about the United States. This is something that everyone is feeling because of coming out of a once-in-a-lifetime once pandemic, because of the war that Russia has started in Ukraine. Number one, stop saying uh, Putin's price hike. It had something to do with this, but not everything. The other thing is we're trying to help the Ukrainians win the war. Don't keep telling Vladimir Putin he's doing damage to our economy or he's going to double and triple down. That's more reason for him to stay the course. So just because you think you want to blame people and take responsibility for what's going on and admitting that you misread it or your treasury secretary needs to be replaced or your economic advisor needs to be shown the door, you want to blame oil uh, producers, you want to blame Republicans, you want to blame Vladimir Putin, you want to blame supply chain. They had a role. But your programs, you're the president, you waited your whole life to have this job. Why do you, number one, spend almost all your time in Delaware? Number two, take not take responsibility for anything. Kevin Hassett, who is, was asked two or three times to come back to the Trump administration and said yes, cut for. We're basically in an inflationary spiral because of the spending binge that Biden gave us. Uh, and they're also attacking U.S. companies and U.S. capital. Like the letter uh, to the oil companies is just a tiny little bit tip of the iceberg of what their regulators and tax hike threats have been doing to supply. So they're attacking supply uh, and they're feeding demand. And that gives us inflation. And so it was obvious that that was going to happen. So basically, so it happened with the market. Uh, I love when uh, we have these these um, we all have these financial advisors, uh, whether not how much money you have. You have somebody in your life that you're like, yeah, you might want to put some money here. You might want to save money there. Got it. When they say just don't look like in 2008, uh, my 401k is getting pounded. I wouldn't look. That is not why you go to college and get a master's degree in finance to tell clients not to look. You tell them how you prevented a bigger fall. Perhaps I digress. Mortgage rates are at 5.78%. Obviously, people who are buying a house are going to say, I'm probably not going to do it now. Now, 5.78, we would kill for that in the 80s and 90s. But we got used to almost 0% for the last three, four years. 5.78% is something that maybe Wall Street cheers for, but the average American family does not. Guess what? He's telling people he wants to do more. Joe Biden says he thinks he could do more. He says he dismisses fear of recession, of recession. He says, I want to still lower prescription drug prices, reduce families, utility bills and tax intensives and place a 15 percent minimum tax on corporations. He says his plans will lower expenses for many Americans. Yeah, he'll actually take money from the earners who might be investing in higher wages for their people to retain their jobs, work another 100 hours a week, take their money and give it to other people for social programs that are unsustainable to grow a government. That is not being financed. We're running a huge deficit. While the president says he's cutting the deficit, you know why I say he's cutting the deficit? Because we had, we spent $6.4 trillion trying to sustain economy while telling everyone not to work. And when you start cutting that back $2 trillion at a time, even though you're over budget, it looks like you're cutting the deficit. It doesn't matter now. And that's part of the deception that makes people untrusting of the government. It may, seem, it may feel good on Jimmy Kimmel's show. But it's not. In terms of what could be done, Ron DeSantis auditioning to be president, cut eight. It's got, he's got a lot of chutzpah to attack energy producers when he campaigned saying he was going to shut down energy production in the United States. And, of course, 
That's been a huge driver as to why we now have gas higher than we have ever seen it before in my lifetime in this country. And so he has facilitated this, uh, and I think that's had a huge impact on overall inflation because everything that's produced uh, relies on energy, and when those energy costs go up, it has an effect across the board. Obviously, when you're printing trillions of dollars, the money supply, that has caused it to go up as well. Wow. Uh, it's, it's so true. I mean, he's got a plan. He's got an uh, Ivy League education. He didn't cheat his way through college like Joe Biden did. And Ron DeSantis is bringing it on. He also said when it comes to these ordering more vaccines for children under five, they, I think they're recommending three shots. He's the only state that didn't order any. He's been right almost every step of the way. I'm going to go with that. Despite all the negativity, the attorney general in New York suing the Trump organization, the, uh, ju- the attorney general of Georgia impaneled a grand jury to sue him. And the January 6th trial, which makes him look absolutely terrible. Believe it or not, when it comes to Donald Trump's favorability among Republicans, 83 percent. Joe Biden among Democrats, 81 percent. When it comes to candidates who are most favorable, get this, favorable, leading the pack of Trump, Biden, Pence, Harris, Trump, number 144, Biden, number 242, Pence, 40, and Kamala Harris, 39. Mr. President, we know you're doing a bad job. You can deflect all you want. We know you're doing a bad job. And I'm extremely worried about what our foreign policy is going to look like as the Russians, invented, uh, the Russians, Iranians, and the Chinese dig in in Central and South America, and they threaten Taiwan, does China, uh, in the South, uh, South China Sea. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. As you can tell, I have a lot to say. I've only got through really one of the big three. Uh, much more on that when we come back. And I also want your opinion. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Look, if you go back... The different administrations, they've all tried to improve border security, some more than others, I would say. This is the first administration where it's actually taking several steps backwards. We're not improving anything along that border. It's getting worse and worse month after month after month, and a change is needed. No kidding. Uh, That was Chad Wolf, who used to try to get things done at the border, had a very tough boss at the border. Uh, And that was uh, President Trump. But they have totally taken their hands off the wheel, this administration, and allowed millions to pour into this country and at a time in which we're trying to get a hold of our budget how are we supposed to understand and digest 234,000 234,000 illegals last month 234,000 that is a new record and you know the month before was in May a new record a 21% increase in May over April that was a new record so we're looking now at one year one year since Kamala Harris went to the border for the first time and cited this and use and use these words to describe the border cut 12 I'd call it progress we're not exactly where we want to be yet but we have seen extreme progress over these last few months the president and I are absolutely committed to ensuring that our 
immigration system is orderly and humane, and I do believe that we are making progress in that regard. She's totally wrong, has not been to the border since. She didn't even go to the border. She went to a gateway that was really, it was a processing center where people who are processed really had no issues. It was just a matter of didn't have their paperwork with them. But in this situation, it is so much worse. And in terms of uh, the contributing factors to the current gas prices, when uh, uh, to the current uh, to the current economic stress, do not shortchange illegal immigration. Think about the school system. Think about the food stamps. Think about the shelters. Think about the affordable housing. Uh, don't think about the way they're helping in the workforce because most of that money is declared because they're going to get in a lot of trouble if they don't. So now you have Vice President Harris in charge of something else that's an epic fail. The number of unaccompanied minor children, it counted since October, is enough to fill the University of Alabama football stadium. Think about this. 14,699 unaccompanied minors at the border in May, 21% increase from April, which was 12,180. There have been over 100,000 unaccompanied kids encountered at the southern border since October 1st. So this is, uh, this is incredible because immediately they go into school, immediately they go into a sponsor home, immediately they're going, to need, uh, they're going to need some type of transportation, they're going to need English as a second language, ELS training. See what's going on? It hurts our schools, it hurts our communities, it hurts our budget. Not that they're not great people, but the immigration system should not allow people to come here illegally, and we have tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands waiting to come in uh, at our border. Here's Glenn Greenwald on Harris's expanded portfolio and how she's failed at each and every one of them. Her latest one is now she's going to be in charge of uh, bullying on the Internet. Cut 13. It's really bizarre. You know, on the one hand, you can kind of mock it as the triviality that it is. She was supposed to be integrated into foreign policy to get her foreign policy bona fides. She was going to solve root cause problems in Central America and stem the tide of immigration. And now suddenly she's basically like a glorified content moderator for Twitter to protect Washington Post reporters who are going on television weeping about mean tweets they're getting. Yeah, it's she. I have no idea. This sounds like a disinformation bureau, the one that was disbanded. So you have an absolute mess on the border. And what bothers me most, Barack Obama uh, maybe was a little bit too permissive, but he did deport a lot of people. But what you have here is somebody who's just not interested. The only time he showed interest in the border is when they were those, uh, those Border Patrol agents on horses trying to herd the illegals into a certain area in order to be processed. And there was the image was of a white guy on a horse. They said whipping black Haitians. What it was... It wasn't a whip. It was a strap for the horse. And what they were doing was rounding up tens of thousands who were coming through the border. And instead of apology, they said they're going to be disciplined. Disciplined. We know they were doing their job. It's helping to plummet morale. Koli Shimkus is next. I'll expand on this and so much more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
We're at a tipping point on the battlefield. The Russians obviously are making some progress. It's, it's a grinding artillery war. They have the advantage because of the number of guns they have and the ranges that they have. The tipping point involves the Ukrainians have the skill, they've got the will, they've got the number of people to do it. What they need is the weapons to do it, and that means more artillery, more ammunition, more multiple rocket launchers, and, and by the hundreds, not by the scores, to be able to, to keep them in this fight. What Ukraine wants to do is go on the offensive because they know full well the Russians are reaching a culminating point just trying to take this one major city in the eastern part of the Donbass region. Uh, there is uh, General Keene talking about what's happening now with uh, Russia and how things have changed there. And right now, Vladimir Putin is addressing some type of economic council meeting that sometimes the West would attend, not now. Uh, it turns out uh, that Vladimir Putin feeling pretty good about himself. That saying, He says the sanctions haven't really affected Russia. I find that hard to believe because when you think about the oil and gas customers that they lost, the Western influence, which they now, everything from McDonald's to Starbucks, have picked up and, and, and went away. And now they're starting to divert uh, the gas and getting from other places little by little within a year. They will not be customers at all, but they are having success in the battlefield because they have the numbers and they have the artillery. Um, Carly Shimkus joins us now, co-host of Fox and Friends First, fresh off uh, doing the news for Fox and Friends. Carly, welcome back. Hello. So Happy it is. To be back. So Vladimir Putin feeling better about himself, according to the interpreter, if we were to believe that on this council. Yeah. Uh, because he feels as though he's making some progress in the East. Yeah, and on the economic front, I was just looking up this article because it's about two days ago. I'm sure you saw it, Washington Post, uh, saying that Russia made $100 billion from fuel exports during the first 100 days of the war. So even on the economic front, I'm sure that that number will go down, obviously, now that all the sanctions are in place. But um, economically, we were talking about how the economy was crippled under these sanctions. And it is kind of interesting to think about, you know, even now we are adding things onto Russia. And you're like, how is there anything left to give? Is there right. why 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 well, can't, we get why can we still be adding these sanctions on? Shouldn't that have happened uh, in the first month of the war, in the first few weeks. And we should have been more prepared. And I, what you just had is Dan Hoffman says, who's a, who used to be stationed uh, as CIA station chief over in Moscow, he said that Russia has been effective in stopping Joe Biden from doing everything needed to be done for Ukraine to win. Even though it's not over yet, Ukraine is still holding off major cities. They're trying to counter, they're trying to take back Kyrgyzstan, having some success there. Mm-hmm. But Russia, on just pure numbers, has deployed 390,000 troops. Wow. 390. Yeah. Well, Biden just announced it's on the screen right now. This happened yesterday, the day before. He announced an additional, I think it's 1.2 billion, actually, right. of Ukrainian aid. So, and there, there, I know that um, continuing to uh, give money to Ukraine is sort of controversial in the United States right now. Um, but there was a recent poll that showed that I think it was like 58 or 60 percent of uh, Americans believe that we should still be uh, supporting Ukraine, which I. I think is I think is the right call. Good, good memory. Uh, favor. Fifty nine percent of Americans give them money in favor, of giving them money. Sixty one percent in favor of giving them weapons. But because they were having some success, I hope that isn't changing, because a lot of times success isn't a straight line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox News poll also says how much do, how much does what happens in Russia, Ukraine conflict matter in the U.S.? A great deal. Forty one percent said now. 
That number was at 51% in May. Yeah. You can tell that there's already war fatigue. First of all, I mean, the the, uh, the lack of coverage is, uh, I mean, you, you know, well, and that, those things happen. I mean, we do have to, you know, the United, we do have to cover other things that, that are happening in this country. It was well to well in the beginning, and now it's, you know, <laughs> barely a segment, if if at all. And also, right, you know, it, that was when there was the battle for Kiev, uh, capturing um, the capital city, and now that it feel, now that it seems like that is no longer a threat, Um you cannot say that Russia is going to control the whole country. You know, Putin has lost that element of the war, which was the most important. Um, but to the point of the poll and those numbers going down in terms of importance, it is because it is grinding on right. and Americans are somewhat losing losing interest. Right. France is sending uh, howitzers, but not enough. The U.S. gave 108 howitzers. They want 1,000. They said they want tanks. They need more artillery. Uh, they did not get the long-range missile and heavy weapons that they need. Hopefully, President Biden changes his mind on that. You just do it. Don't announce it. I yeah, think that works better for it. thing. I know. Throughout this whole entire war, the weapons that we're going to give them. Listen, we're in the news, and I would rather not know in this regard. I would rather not know the weapons that are going right. um, to the country and have it be effective for the Ukrainians rather than know and then have it be some sort of catastrophe or have it work against them in some way. Yeah, so we had, they asked for long-range precision weapons. We're giving them something. My other worry is they stays in Poland. Yeah, I know. I mean, get it out of Poland. Get it. Uh, get into the fight. A lot of times the directions are in English. That doesn't help a lot of Ukrainians who sit there with face paint on in the middle of the field. And you were talking um, to Jackine on the sh- on Fox and Friends yes. this morning about the two Americans that are um, three now. Three oh, three Americans that are either captured, missing, or God forbid, dead. And I don't think we know exactly right. the status of them. Well, yet. listen, we can't get Brittany Griner out of there, uh, and she was playing basketball, getting a million dollars or something. Yeah, and she's still she is still in Russia, right? And she had an extended a month. It's like, you know, I feel I, like there should be more outrage over that. I do, too. Where's the NBA using leverage to have China it's, yeah. to have China put leverage to get her out? Really, you're sending a message to all female athletes because all the U.S. women's soccer players went there too. give a lot more money to the women to play in Russia for some reason. So they go over, they'll play the WNBA season, do what they do and then go over there. And now who's going to go yeah, over there? Especially because this is during the time, you know, she uh, was detained in Russia Right around the time of when the war started. Right. So th- that region was in the news a lot. You know, you have this juxtaposition of the most successful female basketball player, right. a prisoner in Russia as this war is unfolding and tensions have never been higher between the United States and Russia. It just seems like something that would naturally get more news coverage and concern than it has. I'm well, we are, by that. we are covering it. Yeah. You and I are doing it. We, we are. We are. We are yes. in, in this present moment. We are. We are. So uh, the other big story, I think, that was uh, a lot bigger a month ago, but still big now. Elon Musk seems pretty clear. He wants Twitter and was trying to drive the price down. So he finally met with some employees and took some questions. Here's some of this interaction. I think it's essential to have a free speech um, and, for, and to be able to communicate, yeah, just communicate freely if there are multiple opinions. You know, and, and just make sure that we're not sort of uh, driving a narrative. In order for people to have trust in Twitter, I think it's extremely important that there be transparency. I think Twitter, in terms of like serious issues, can be a lot better in informing, informing people about serious issues. How many times has have the media gotten it right? Well, I would say almost never. <laughs> not, not never, but almost never. All right, so you gave us a D, D minus. Yes. <laughs> not, I wouldn't say never, but almost never. So he says he wants a billion followers. Listen. My political views, I think, are moderate. I'm in favor of, of moderate politics, but allowing people who have, like, 
relatively extreme views to um, get, you know, to express those views within, within the bounds of the law. Free speech within within the context of the law. So it's not, I'm not, definitely not suggesting that we just flout the law because we'll get, we'll get shut down in that case. I think there's also this freedom of speech and freedom of reach. So I think people should be allowed to say, you know, pretty outrageous things that are within the bounds of the law, but it doesn't get amplified. It doesn't get a ton of reach. So what do you think about that? I think that's substantial if this is... Well, I think that everything that he said was so um, moderate and makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to free speech, that is obviously the biggest headline. Um, And his whole position is um, if it's lawful, even even if it's awful, lawful and awful, it should stay online. If if you're breaking the law, then that would be removed, which is so far removed from what Twitter's uh, policy is right now. Let's see if he can keep a thick skin. What if people start ganging up on him still? Is he going to be? They already are. I mean, they've accused him of being a racist because he's he grew up in South Africa, even though he left the country specifically because he didn't want to be a a part of the apartheid. Yeah, part of the apartheid system. Um, yeah, so there, I don't know if you can gang up, gang up on him anymore. The one thing that I was wondering about, and this, this really could happen. It's awful. It's just, it's the nature of how violent our country has become is that what if he does acquire Twitter and there is a post that leads to in, you know, there's an, an, an attacker the attack that happens and then it goes back to a post that, he, that was online and then he gets all sorts of criticism. I just wonder at the end of the day, if he's going to is it worth it? Is it really worth it for him? He's, he already has all these successful yeah. companies. It could just be more of a headache than for what it's worth. All right, uh, Carl, you never give anybody a headache. She's going to stick around Aww. and take some calls, and we're going to have some fun stuff to talk about. Maybe find out if Pete's ready if there's more to know. Don't move. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, it's amazing. You know, so uh, we've done more to know together, Carly Shimkus, a lot, right? Many times. Right. And so I kind of put that to One Nation. And when I brought it up and they said, what do you want on your show? I said, I want something that's unscripted, almost like more to know. And we, we call it the news duel. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how many people, when they go to do it, they're very uncertain that they want to do it. Oh, really? They're happy afterwards, but they're like, I don't get it. Like, what, how do I know when to stop doing the news? Like, are you going to say anything? Uh, maybe I will. Uh, what, are you gonna, do I say anything when you have something to read? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> they don't like the whole unscripted nature. You like the I, I do. I love it. And um, did you reveal who's going to be your more to know guest or your news dual guest uh, this week? Yeah, it's Ainsley Earhart. That's exciting. Right. It is very exciting. Even though you sit um, next to each other three hours a day, right. five days, days a week, it's still exciting when it's in a different setting. So tell me how you'd feel about this. Okay. We asked for Ainsley in March. We said, when are you available? Okay. And she's like, end of June. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm like, well, do you never come? Like, will we survive? She did not say that. I swear to you, it's totally true. But not to me directly. I mean, that's basically what I said. You ask Angela, I go, yeah. She gave us a date in June. <laughs> I'm like, basically, they were looking at me like, do you guys talk? Do you guys get along? That is so funny. Well, I, I know um, why she probably did that is because you do tape the show 
I mean, really late. So, right. I mean, c- compared to the Fox right. and Friends schedule. And up until now, a lot and of people. she's got her daughter who's, you know. Right. Up until now, not many people yeah. knew we were taping the show. And you just <gasps> exposed that. Fantastic. Uh, sometimes we do. And I am. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, thank you. I am interviewing Greg Norman today. Live. Uh, yeah, the live tour. Yeah. Uh, because this is pretty big. It is you huge. Have, they've suspended 17 players from the PGA who play who are in this new Saudi, uh, yeah. Saudi-backed golf league. And it's his golf league. He started He's the CEO. He's no, the well, CEO. they approached him, and they, the Saudi uh, uh, wealth fund said, mm-hmm. listen, we want to sponsor a golf league. They met with Jack Nicholas. They met with him. And he's like, I'll do it. I've been trying to do this my whole life. Yeah. I want to get a rival league to create two true free agency. But the controversy is, should you be in bed with Saudi Arabia? I know. And the answer is, yeah. They own Newcastle. I'm pretty sure the fans are still showing up for Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, they have sponsors. They they are sponsoring in Saudi Arabia tournaments that golfers go to is Ping, is Titleist, and all these others. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't want uh, the Saudi to be part of this. The Saudis are part of. But I ask you, this is a counter argument to that. President Biden's going there in three weeks to ask him for a favor. They, during the Abraham Accords, guess what the key country was to make sure these other gov- countries recognize Israel? Saudi Arabia. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and then you have the families, the counter argument is the fam- the 9-11 families are speaking out against that league. And it's really, I mean, you, it's hard to argue against how they feel, but they are well, handing out more money than God to these golfers. I mean, it's life-changing amounts of money. So. Absolutely. But they also have a, they also have a free a missile defense system that we handed them to protect him against Houthi rebels. Right. So the geopolitical situation is complicated at best. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Ladies with first. Carly Shimkus. Oh my goodness, I forgot. Oh wow, I love that. I feel very special. All right, adding a spoonful of sugar to a cup of coffee could be the key to a longer life, according to a new study. Scientists have found coffee drinkers are at a lower risk of death than non-coffee drinkers, but those who like to drink sweet coffee are less likely to die. Wow, sugar being good for you when when you put it in we coffee. Have, we never heard that, but this is good for me. Because I tried to go black and it wasn't working. What do you, what's your coffee order? It's I have sweet, right? one and a half sugars and milk. Do you like Splenda or? No. Oh, I love Splenda. Really? Of all the artificial you, sugars, that's You choose mine. that. Yes, or Stevia, which is better for you. Do you like, I can't believe it's not butter? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never really thought about it, but I'll have it. Right. Yes. But it's Long called, flowing hair. You know, the one thing is, yeah, gee, my hair smells terrific. No, I, don't, your re- I don't remember that. You I don't? don't know what that is. Do you remember? Does Eric, does Eric or Pete remember that? Gee, your hair smells terrific. Gee, your hair smells terrific. Is that, was that <laughs> That's the pre- name of a shampoo. That wasn't President Biden? No. Oh, okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> well, wait, whoa. Was that was that President Biden or was that was he was Carly too quick it's for me? Not, but we originally pulled that because it sounds uh, like President Biden. That that was unbelievable speed. Next, <laughs> just <laughs> Justin Bieber is forced to postpone more tour dates from his highly anticipated world tour because he's got that facial paralysis. What's going on with that? It's called Ramsey Hunt syndrome. It's frozen the side of his face. The website says he, uh, says he will resume his world tour July 31st. Yeah, it's so sad. And um, I don't think anybody knew about this disease before he had it. Um, and now a lot of people know. But apparently the facial paralysis will go away. Scary. It is scary. Because imagine if it happens just like me or you. You could be totally healthy, but if one side of your face doesn't work. You know, when I was a little girl, my mom told me um, she didn't want me to. I kept on going outside with my hair wet. 
And she didn't want me to do that, so she told me that if I did, my face would freeze in the position that it was in. And I've always... I, I, I learned, like, maybe when I was 17 that that wasn't true. But wasn't you still true. don't want to risk it. No, I never go out with my hair wet now. All right. Carly, don't do it. Your face is going to freeze, and it worked. Next. All right. Le- uh, watching less than one hour of TV a day could lower heart disease risk. Uh, that's obvious, because you're, then you wouldn't, you're in a sedentary state, and the couch potato lifestyle is not good. Four hours of television is the worst for your heart. So if you're going to watch Fox and Friends weekend in a row, please do. But you could do it and then just jog in place. Thank you. Uh, so, so it was a treadmill. Yes. Uh, the IFA, the, no, excuse me, FIFA announced Wednesday that 16 North American cities in the 2026 World Cup. You're talking about a, maybe a billion dollars coming into your city. So yeah. this matters. The cities that are going to have the World Cup because it's shared by Mexico and Canada. New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, Dallas, San Francisco, Miami, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, Kansas City, Philadelphia, and Boston. Who didn't get it? Nashville did not get it. Washington, D.C. did not get it. Uh, Orlando did not get it. They are all crestfallen. Yeah, except for the people who commute. And I'm sure they're like, okay, that's fine. Because, you know, the traffic. Yes. Uh, But, come on, please. (laughs) Should I not have said that? But it helps the city. It does. It does. Next. Yes. All right. Oh, wow. Is... Is this more to know sponsored by Folgers? According to research from Johns Hopkins University, scientists report drinking just one cup of coffee daily. You have two coffee stories? May reduce your risk of acute kidney injury in comparison to non-coffee drinkers. Shall I go on or just leave it there? I think we should leave it there. Okay, that's good. I mean, do you get kicked in the kidney when you're drinking the coffee? (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, Drinking coffee, though, good for your heart and good for your kidney. As long as you have... uh Sugar. That's right. Who would think? Splenda. This is the anti-health uh, more to know. That's right. Not seems. sponsored by... Should we work on a Folger sponsorship in the commercial break? I think it should be, G. your hair smells terrific. <laughs> Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Finish out the week. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. I'll be able to take your calls and get your feedback. You can write me at briankilmeade.com. Just click on comments. I'll be able to get to them. I promise I'll read through them. But it's been a busy morning already. We'll keep up with everything that, uh, that is taking place. The January 6th hearings is percolating underneath a lot of this. There's not been sensational. We've known a lot of it. A lot of it's aggravating. A lot of it pits Republican against Republican. I get it. But they are really being hurt by not having a countervailing argument. I'm telling you, from a Democratic perspective, they're being hurt. Geraldo Rivera is standing by. Just let me also tell you, coming up on One Nation Saturday at 8 o'clock, Greg Norman will give his first TV interview since he became CEO of the Live Golf Series, which, uh, which is financed uh, by the Saudi Arabia uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, which people find controversial for reasons because it's Saudi Arabia. But we'll let a look into this and what it means for the golfers that followed him there, like Phil Mickelson. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. 
Number three. I find it quite interesting with the Fox News polling that showed on the question of which party is doing a better job preserving democracy, that Republicans actually best Democrats. They're not winning on that. And that's been their whole point with the January 6th committee. That was their point with impeaching President Trump twice. And, and that's not working. Yeah, uh, January, that was Katie, Pavel, Katie, uh, Katie Pavlich, obviously. The January 6th hearings, we know some more, but we don't know that much different. In fact, the LA Times came out and said it reminded me of something you'd see on C-SPAN that you flipped the channel from. Meanwhile, head-to-head, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, guess who's more popular? The guy that's under the scrutiny right now of the January 6th hearing. Number two. Look, if you go back different administrations, they've all tried to improve border security, some more than others, I would say. This is the first administration where it's actually taking several steps backwards. We're not improving anything along that border. It's getting worse. Nobody would argue with that. Chad Wolf weighing in. I'll talk to I'll talk to Geraldo Rivera about the numbers. It said all time records for the wrong reason. And the one year anniversary is today when the vice president went down to the border and said it's almost perfect. Number one. There are several culprits. There's Biden. $1,400 text, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it. So you get inflation. The Fed, mm-hmm. which also completely blew it. There's nothing good to say about it. There you go. Steve Radner, a advisor to President Obama. President Biden's first sit down in four months. He does it with the AP and tries to explain away inflation. Not his fault. Explain away the market drop. Not his fault. Explain away gas prices. Not his fault. The glum mood because of the pandemic. Really? And global warming. I digress. Let's bring in somebody now who's not letting global warming get him down. Geraldo Rivera, co-host of The Five, Fox News correspondent, best-selling author. Geraldo, welcome back. Uh, thank you. What's getting me down is the stock market, which means I have to work until I'm 105. You know, it's so weird. I remember you when we were in the different studio in 2008, and you were in studio here, and you were saying what a beating you were taking. Did you you get all you get all your money back from 2008? Didn't you? I did. I never sold anything. I, I have a famous story where I was on, in the pool on my dock in Edgewood, or right under the George Washington Bridge on the Hudson River there, and uh, I happened to be swimming uh, naked. Uh, the full moon came up, and I started howling at the moon that I'm not selling, I'm not selling. I didn't sell, and it all came back. But the difference then is I was that much younger than I am now. I, I wonder if I have time for the rebound that undoubtedly will take place, Brian. Okay, there's so much there. Number one, do you feel comfortable <laughs> naked? <laughs> I, I love swimming naked and sleeping naked. Uh, I try actually to be naked whenever I can be. I am not a, one of those crazy nudist people. I just, uh, uh, I like the freedom of the uh, of, of water passing through my loins. It's a very... <laughs> what? You know what? I'm not even sure if anything, you know, not one word was unacceptable, but the whole sentence was unacceptable. Can we, are we in a delay, Eric? Can we, for, can I unhear this? <laughs> You, yeah, clean that up. Clean yeah, that up. Yeah, Eric, would you clean that up? Edit that. Uh, get out to take out the verbs and the and the nouns and the adjectives. All right, let's talk about something a little bit uh, less sexy, um, which is what's going on with the president of the United States. Uh, he made a, a couple of statements. Number one, calling out oil and gas and saying that they're they're we're going to take away your profits if this continues and you're making money off us. And I'm going to I want some ideas on how you're going to get those gas prices down. And the, the Oil and Gas Association said, excuse me, we gave you a 10-point plan already. Why are you writing me a letter? 
We're in communication. So Exxon made an official comeback today, and here's an excerpt from what Exxon said about being vilified. Exxon has been investing more than any other company to develop U.S. oil and gas supplies. This includes investments in U.S. more than $50 billion over the last, 50, over the last five years, resulting in almost 50% increase in the U.S. production. Globally, we have invested double what we've earned over the last five years, $118 billion on new oil and gas supplies compared to net income of $55 billion. This is a reflection of the company's long-term growth strategy and our commitment to investing to meet society's demand for different products. So they're trying to be diplomatic, but I've never seen this is the worst quality to have as a leader. Blame he's a blameaholic, Geraldo. Well, that that may be true, and I uh, I lament I lament that. And it is clear, uh, as much as I want to cut him as much slack as I possibly can that this would have been a good time six months ago, a year ago, uh, to say, given the uncertainty, uh, global uncertainty, certainly in the last 100 days with the war in Ukraine, uh, this could be a time to go slow with the whole green energy thing, to rein in uh, uh, John Kerry and, uh, and Granholm, the, yeah. uh, the secretary, and just say, you know, we'll get to this, but let's not try to jam it down people's throat right now when there's so much uncertainty. And the, the prices are killing the average person. I mean, it's, it's like uh, an indictment every time you look at, a, at the price uh, list outside a gas station and, the, and it ticks up. And I feel so badly for people uh, who are not as fortunate right. as us right. who need their, uh, their pickups to go to work uh, every, uh, every day. And they're spending over 100 bucks to fill up the tank. Uh, you know, it's just not, it's not fair. It's bad planning. That's not to say, and you know this, Brian, that I give big oil a pass. I mean, no one's crying for uh, Exxon. They made uh, $6 billion uh, last year, the, uh, the profit margin. But they lost, like, two years ago, they lost uh, multi-billions. I think they lost $22 yeah. billion during the pandemic. I, but, but big oil, I mean, I don't want to be in a position to feel sorry for big oil because I don't. And they, they could do more, and I'm glad that the president's got their attention. But he is the person who bears the principal blame for stubbornly uh, almost, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, there's an insanity uh, to uh, sticking <laughs> Thank with you. a plan that works, yeah. that works, uh, you know, in, in normal times, but certainly not when uh, you're dealing with a pandemic, for goodness sake. Uh, the implications from that and the reverberations from that and this damn war that Putin declared uh, in Europe. Geraldo Rivera, our guest, obviously. Geraldo. Uh, I think the, the president, I read the transcript on the AP article instead of the summary, which I think is Geraldo-esque in getting to the root. Uh, so I read it. And one of the questions was, he thinks it's bizarre that Republicans are blaming him for inflation. And it said, I'm meant to say the, the questioner whose name is, I wrote down, I don't really know him, but um, the questioner's name is Josh uh, Boak said Republicans are blaming you for inflation. And he said the rescue plan. And he said, it's bizarre. Why would they say that? But that's the wrong question. There were Democratic economists who blame him. Not only Larry Summers, but listen to Steve Ratner, President Obama's, uh, administrative, President Obama's administrative economic advisor. Uh, cut three. There uh, are several culprits. There's Biden and what he's done. And it's not irrelevant, but it's not. And, the, what, and, and what is that? 
Well, that is all the spending, basically. Yeah, the, 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 the relief, plan, the relief, the fourteen hundred dollar text, the two trillion dollars that you and I have talked about a lot. That's on the sidelines. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it, so you get inflation. Yeah. Uh, and as we talked about the other day, left to its own devices, the administration would have proposed another four trillion dollars of programs with taxes, but nonetheless, they right. still would have uh, had. But but that's one issue. The second issue, which we'll talk about, is the Fed, mm-hmm. which also completely blew it completely blew it in a way that I haven't seen in 40 years from the Fed. I love the Fed, but there's nothing good to say about it. So, I mean, it's not Republicans. So the question should have been, when people say the rescue plan, they include Larry Summers and Steve Ratner. So either fire your Treasury Secretary, your economic advisor, or take responsibility for it. Long ago, I was taught there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free money. Uh, You give uh, free money that's not earned money. Uh, but it's just given uh, in that yep. way and it, it, in the in the scale and the multi trillions of dollars and expect it will not impact price. Uh, a kid taking economics 101, a freshman in a st- state college would figure that one out. Uh, it, it, it sort of, and they wanted more with Build Back Better. They wanted to double uh, the uh, the several trillion that were uh, that was out there for the uh, 5.5 pandemic relief. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's it's crazy, and I I I, I fear uh, he may rebound, he may recover, but as of right now, this is a failed presidency, and it's a failed presidency coming at a time when uh, the president, who's only eight months older than I am, I, I always say that, uh, but so- seems racked and rattled by uh, by the enormity of the job and the crises. Uh, the serial crises that come one after the other after the other. And I, I worry, uh, with two and a half years left, are we gonna, and with a, with a vicious midterm election coming up, are we going to be able to muddle our way through this? I think if we do, if we let the economy, uh, you know, find its own, uh, its own pace, its own scope, uh, you know, we, we, we will get through it. But it's going to be a rough patch, and I worry that the man at the helm right now uh, is steering us onto the rock. So I looked at Politico this morning, and it says, back burner no more. The Democrats set Manchin-Schumer talks. They're talking about doing some type of bill to raise taxes and uh, more, climate, uh, 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 more climate provisions in our budget. They're looking to uh, bring down prescription health care costs by obviously subsidizing them and uh, child care bills. So uh, child care subsidies, their work. Joe Manchin is now he's trying to grind this out with Democratic leadership. Could you pick a a more inopportune time than now? No, and I'm uh, disappointed because Manchin is my favorite Democrat by far. I think that he saved uh, several trillions in expenditures by his intransigence and not going along with Schumer on, uh, on on some of the Build Back Better proposals. I, I If he goes, there's no stopping uh, the Democrats other than November. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if I credit that report just because he is he has been so right on and so noble in his uh, right. uh, in his willingness to defy his own party. Uh, but uh, just as Liz Cheney is my favorite 
And Mitt Romney, my favorite Republicans, Manchin's my favorite Democrat. I like it right down the middle. I'll tell you real quick, uh, not only is it happening, but Senator Ron Wyden says we've been working behind the scenes for weeks, and he's optimistic they're going to get through a simple majority spending plan. Do you believe this? Uh, absolutely sickening. I, terrible. So terrible lastly, idea. real quick, they're on approval ratings, Donald Trump now has higher approval ratings than any other politician when put together with Pence, Trump, Biden, Harris, Trump, a three-point lead over Biden, despite the January 6th hearing, what's happened with Letitia James, the attorney general in New York, despite all those things. How do you explain that? Well, he's charming. He's charismatic. Uh, you know, he's, he's lovable in many ways. He's my friend for over 40 years. I, obviously, we, uh, we took a different path uh, after the election. Uh, but uh, there's there's no doubting who you would rather spend time with in the room or at the uh, you know the cocktail party, even though he doesn't. Well, they're drink. about running the country, <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing. Well, he's running the country too, and running running the country too. Although uh, you know it's uh, you can't. I, and I hear it, and I and I you know I'm such a fan of yours. I I hope that you don't you know kind of gloss over. What happened on January 6th? It is a big deal. No, but but I will say this about the hearings. It's actually a disservice to the Democrats that they don't have Republicans on there, even offering some context to what they're saying, because it's like editing a documentary with a point of view and and just say, don't you know, you're selling me on your point of view. Liz Cheney, I'd have much more respect for if she brought up that. Uh, the National Guard troops should have been brought in. If she brought up that there were people, the the other side of, uh, there were other sides of some of that story, and I'm sure if you look at the transcript of some of these interviews, there's some, there's not, it's not all what Democrats say it is. As bad as January 6th is, there's some context that needs to be brought out. They went out of their way to keep Banks and uh, Jim Jordan off, and in the in the long run, it's going to hurt them. Because they're no longer the people going to look at this and say, well, I know where they stand. It doesn't matter the details as opposed to let me watch and see what gets fleshed out. Final thought. Well, my my final thought is be that as it may. There is no doubting in my mind now that I've heard what I've heard, that the president of the United States tried to interfere with the constitutional process and the peaceful succession uh, of, of uh, one administration to the next. And I, I lament that. He didn't have to do that. I would love right now to be his number one cheerleader uh, going for re-election in 2024 after his noble defeat in 2020. Uh, you know, if he had only taken that high road, he would overwhelmingly yeah, be he the would. odds-on favorite to be the next person. And I think Pence comes off looking great. Uh, I think he's a quality he, human he being. He is great. He yep. is great. Pence, uh, Pence was very noble and brave. Absolutely. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, have a great weekend, and don't be afraid to swim nude. <laughs> okay, buddy. That's my takeaway. Take, I'm taking my clothes off right now. Thank you very much. I'm, thank goodness I'm going to break. Uh, this is the Brian Kill Me Show. I'm fully dressed. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Only time I see this being a factor with these hearings in terms of elections, not during the midterms, especially given all the other issues Americans are focused on, but possibly in 2024, if you were to see a matchup between former Vice President Mike Pence mm. and President Donald Trump, um, that is where you know some of this stuff in these videos and the comments that were made may get 
pushed back up on the, the right side of the aisle. But other than that, uh, regular everyday Americans are concerned about gas prices because everybody is affected by them. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And when they talk about January 6th, uh, yeah, you want to hear who the legal genius was sarcastic that came up with this idea that Mike Pence could overturn an election that was going to throw it back to the states to recount when we know the recounts have not yielded anything. And these uh, lawyers, uh, the non-normal lawyers who didn't even believe what they were saying, and then Mike Pence stood up for it. I think Mike Pence came out looking great. I also think the Democrats are over their skis on this. But I don't want to diminish what Trump did. I, I, I don't really hear his side of the story is my point. So if you don't hear his side of the story, it makes you know just instinctively there's more to this. Uh, listen, I'm going to come back and take some calls. I kind of went a little long with Geraldo, kind of threw me with that naked story. But don't forget to watch One Nation, Saturday 8 and then 11 o'clock. We're going to lead with Greg Norman and find out the truth behind, behind this new Live Golf League and why the PGA is so outraged as the U.S. Open rages um, in Massachusetts. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president doesn't really uh, understand the magnitude of what's taking place here in the United States of America. I think the entire team around him is so left, so woke, so disconnected from the things that matter to the American people that all he hears in his little circle, whether that's up at his house in Delaware or sitting in the Oval Office for a few hours a day, I, I think what he's hearing is exactly the opposite of what you and I have been talking about tonight. And so he doesn't he doesn't get it. He's not about to be nimble and pivot and go back to what matters to the American people. He's going to keep pressing the agenda of the leftists that elected him and hope that he can hang on for the last two and a half years and tell the American people, yes, this was the greatest four years in America when, in fact, the American people can see this is the this is one of the most dangerous four years that we've experienced. There, it's absolutely true. I know those people that just don't like Trump and didn't trust Mike Pompeo, although Mike Pompeo gets strong record and might feel differently, but they were in control. And you might not like the organization, but Trump was on the border. Trump knew what was going on with foreign policy. He was all over trade, personally on trade. There were certain things he wasn't in the nitty-gritty for, Venezuela, South America, Cuba. And he would tell Marco Rubio, I trust you on this. Really? Stephen Miller, when it comes to the budget and getting this done, or Mark Short, when it comes to legislative affairs, I need you to get this done. Okay. And he would do it. But for the most part, you knew Trump was in control. You don't like his decisions, maybe didn't like his style, you didn't like his tweets. But this president doubles and triples down, can't believe people question, gets angry when they do, and doesn't ever learn when he gets caught about all these fake personal stories that never happen. He used to be a truck he used to be a truck driver. That never happened. He uh what other job? He used to yeah, he used to uh work a crane. That never happened. That dumb story about him putting in more miles than anybody else on Amtrak with the conductor that interacted with him, with the conductor in the time in which he tells the story, had been dead already. And he never corrects it when it comes to what's going on with inflation and the rescue plan. He keeps saying it's Republicans that are doing this. Here's what Newt Gingrich said, and he's seen a lot of administrations cut 10, and he compares it, this early failure, he compares it to what Bill Clinton was going through, what people were telling him, and how Clinton knew better. Cut 10. Bill Clinton had to fight the White House staff 
and said to them, if I do what you want me to, I'll be defeated in 96. I have to agree with Gingrich. And that's why we got all the stuff done. Biden can't do that. These people are basically, it's a secular religious fanaticism. They can't deal with reality. They can't deal with the facts. They can't look at how the world really works. And so they keep trying over and over again. And the other thing is, look at his cabinet. There's nobody in there who's ever been competent at anything. There's nobody who's managed a company, delivered on jobs, created anything. So you have a bunch of folks who are there because of their particular fitting various and sundry uh, personality types. They don't have a clue. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad when you can't depend on your staff. That's the issue. And uh, I think David Axelrod and Karl Rove. Karl Rove could guide President uh, George W. Bush, egoless, uh, and just say, this is where you really should go. This is what, this is how he would do it. This is the leverage you need. David Axelrod reportedly was the same way with President Obama. I don't see anybody around him. This guy, Ron Klain, spends all his time reportedly with the squad. And the squad's not even in Joe Biden's corner, which is nuts. Who else do you think is going to be that compliant to be able to get elected? You wanted Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders would have lost 46 states. So why are people, people who are reading the transcripts of the president's first interview with the AP in four months, the first sit down in four months, he sounds remarkably like Jimmy Carter because he talks about the mood of the country. He says Biden's remedy is not that different from the diagnosis made by former President Jimmy Carter in 1979 when the economy was crippled by stagflation. Carter said that the U.S. was suffering from a crisis of confidence and the erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and political fabric of America. Be confident, Biden says. That was Carter. Here's Biden. Be confident because I am confident we're better positioned than any country in the world to own the second quarter of the 21st century. Hmm. I don't know. I don't get that from him. When he's challenged, he's angry. He's very rarely optimistic. When he is optimistic, he yells those words. It takes away from the quality of the words because of the way it's delivered. Here's Doug Hay. Now, he's obviously a Republican. He's the RNC communication director. But this is what he's getting. He said this to Brett last night, cut six. This administration has two problems. One, the very real economic one that they're struggling to address. And then the other is the political problem that they are way behind the eight ball on and don't seem to have any good answers that really satisfy anyone at this point. Right. And if those answers are going to come forward, we haven't seen them yet. But I told you about Joe Manchin working on a deal with Senator Wyden and Chuck Schumer to start putting in some social programs, prescription drug uh, cost, subsidizing child care, health care, when in theory, fine. But forget about the theory for a second. And let's talk about the practicality. Why are we in this trouble? Because we printed too much money. We flooded the zone with too much cash. People have the cash, but it's worth less because there's so much of it. There was too much printed. The crisis was over and he did it. Now we're stuck with mortgage rates at 5.7%. It's doable, processable, but not when you compare it to 0%, which we've been living with. Yeah, did we get spoiled? Yes. Since 2008, absolutely. But it's a, it's a major shock. Stock futures rose slightly. Uh, yesterday, they were down precipitously. Today, they were up a little bit. And it was the worst week for the for the stock market since 2020. It looks as though going into today, the S&P has added 500. They're 0.2% NASDAQ, 100 in the futures. Uh, but since that time, the market uh, has dropped a little. It's starting to stabilize. But after one day, they raised the Fed raised the 
the interest rate 0.75 basis points instead of 0.5. So immediately, well, everyone got a few euphoric. They said, if you up interest rates ahead of inflation, that begin, you get some pain, but you'll begin to drive it down because people have less activity, make the supply more plentiful, it'll drive the prices down, as the ec- economics say. Then the next day, people got up and said, wait a second. The interest rate is 5.7%. That means the housing market is going to suffer, which means home improvement won't take place. I mean, less trips to Home Depot. Gas is still high. I think I'm going to bail on everything. And then we had the big sell-off, which we had. So what the president has done is he's gone out of his way to blame people. He's blaming Vladimir Putin uh, because oil companies now have to, you know, you have to pay more money to get gas and oil from other places. The one thing that I despise is that if it is Vladimir Putin making a major impact and not pure politics, which I know it is, do you know that Vladimir Putin will interpret what they're going through right now as winning? It's going to make it harder on the battlefield for Ukraine. It's going to make them dig down more to absorb more sanctions so they can continue to hurt us. That's what the damage the president's doing because he can never think about the next move of a would-be opponent. Never think about how people might adjust to you. He only tries to tell everybody else what's politically advantageous for him. And here's what President Biden said on what the oil company should do. Well, I say in the short term, do the right thing. Instead of, you know, they made 315 to 31, excuse me, 15 or $16 billion dollars. $35 billion, these major oil companies in the first quarter, so I think it's three, twelve, five. I don't know how many more uh, how many times don't buy don't stop don't buy back your stock and give some of that money back. Well, the way free market works, especially at that level, on a publicly traded company, what you do is you try to explain to people that we're in a pandemic and for two years most of the oil and gas that you bought is sitting on barges in the middle of the ocean, nowhere to port, nowhere to dock, nowhere to go because nobody wants it. So they lost billions. Now as the as oil and gas began to rise and the demand began to go up, well, the price went up. And then when you went to refine more, we find out we were refining at capacity because – He has everybody incentivized to convert some of the oil refineries into some things for biofuels. So now we have less refineries working harder and not using our own oil, but other people's oil on our refineries. So when Biden gets up, he says, I have an idea. Let me vilify gas companies because like Geraldo told us earlier in this block, you don't really want your heart to go out for an oil and gas company. For me, I do because – I know the people that work on those rigs. I have a chance to meet them. You'd see the big and small jobs. You see the scientists that are involved in it. You see the major risks that's taking place in it. And lastly, before I go to break and come back with uh, with your calls, Governor Ron DeSantis was asked about the economy and what he would do different. And this is probably these answers are probably why Elon Musk wants him to run for president. Cut eight. It's got he's got a lot of chutzpah to attack energy producers when he campaigned saying he was going to shut down energy production in the United States. And of course, that's been a huge driver as to why we now have gas higher than we have ever seen it before in my lifetime in this country. And so he has facilitated this. uh, And I think that's had a huge impact on overall inflation because everything that's produced uh, relies on energy. And when those energy costs go up, it has an effect across the board. Obviously, when you're printing trillions of dollars, the money supply, that has caused it to go up as well. That's what happens when you go to an Ivy League school. You're able to respond to things off the cuff when you sit there and try to balance a budget as a governor. And I, I do think the next president 
uh, on the Republican side, if Trump doesn't run, will be a governor. I just think people want somebody that's been in charge, that has a legitimate track record, makes his own decisions, responds in crises, how they work, how they inspire, how they, how they maybe work with the other side. The only time that DeSantis really doesn't grade high is working with the other side. What I'm going to talk about in One Nation today is how there are some things going on in a bipartisan way, and it's going on in spite of President Biden instead of because of President Biden. But when I was telling you before that Joe, Joe Biden got it wrong again, even though he's repeatedly told it's not just Republicans who think you are wrong with the rescue plan and think you are wrong with the way you're going after oil and gas, it are de- Democrats, Democrat, uh, Democratic economists. Larry Summers is the other. I think it's terribly important mm. that we take the temperature down in Washington, that we recognize behavior that's just out of bounds of reasonable and decency. We give the Fed the room it needs. We bring down uh, the budget deficit. We take down prices directly through uh, prescription drugs. I think the optimists were wrong a year ago Mm. in saying we'd have no inflation. And I think they're wrong now in be, if anyone's highly confident that we're going to avoid recession. Hmm. I think he's enjoying the spotlight. But you know what I would like better? President Biden to call him up. Put him as a czar. Because I just want somebody, especially when it comes to dollars and cents, to put politics away because this is affecting everybody. You know, a guy came up to me at the gas station yesterday. So I pump gas, and I'm the only one there. I'm pumping the gas. I fill up my car. And the guy comes across to me, and he says to me, I am, uh, I am out of money. Can I give you my tw- – this guy is a nice car, too. It's a pickup truck. He says, I don't have my wallet with me, and I need to fill up my car. I started – he goes, I had to use the cash I had with me, but I'm not even half full. So he goes, could I give you this case of beer I just bought, and can you give me – lend me money? And I said, no, I'll just give you – I gave him $20 to fill it up. Obviously, the $20 would have been three-quarters of a tank six months ago. Um, I wish I took the beer because I did not realize I had no beer at home. And a lot of times it's hard to get corona. I am surprised how often I go to a place and I cannot get uh, corona. And the worst is, more than any other beer, if it is cold, gets warm, and it gets cold again, the worst taste ever. That and Hawaiian fruit punch. Too sugary. I'm Brian Kilmeade. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This administration hasn't done a single thing to slow the flow. Uh, Every effort they're making is to send more resources to the border to process people quicker and release them quicker so it doesn't appear to be overcrowding. It doesn't appear to be a crisis. And look, they failed. They've been in power for 16, 17 months. The numbers keep going up. This latest number, the 239,000, is historic. We've never seen those type of numbers in the history of this nation. So this administration has failed. They failed the American people. But they're successful in their in, in their quest for an open border. 
You're innocent until proven guilty unless you wear a badge. They're, they've been anti-law enforcement from the start. Look, I was in the Border Patrol. I knew the rules of engagement. These officers did their job. It was easy to see they didn't whip anybody. But look, the president already convicted them. The secretary of Homeland Security made statements that they weaponized horses against children. They already convicted them. And, and what's, what's really terrible, if they dirtied this investigation day one because the inspector general— reports to the secretary. So when you got the president already convicting them on national TV along with the secretary, you can't have a fair investigation. They don't want to embarrass the president. They don't want to embarrass the secretary, the vice president. They got to find something. So did someone use a bad word? Did someone, was somebody not nice? Look, they, they didn't whip anybody. The only people that did anything wrong that day were the Haitian migrants who entered the country illegally, which is a crime, then ignored verbal commands from a federal officer, which is another crime. Yeah. But no one wants to talk about that. Were those, were those Haitians even prosecuted for entering the country illegally? Was it a crime? Of course not. They're going to attack the men and women wearing the uniform. The, 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 these men and women, they're patriots. And Tom Homan knows, and so do the others know. Uh, what's happening at the border, I think, is impeachable. And I think they're going to find out that, he, that he's doing it on purpose because no one could be that negligent. Uh, let's go out to Joe, listen to WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. An honor as always. Hope things are well. All good. Listen, I want to talk, the most, the most important thing for us is this governor's race. And I voted for Lee Zeldin six or seven times. He's my congressman. He lives in the next town over. The G, Andrew Giuliani is the strongest candidate in this race. Lee is a GOP puppet. I know him very well. He's not prime time, and he was embarrassing in the debate. It was hard to watch. And you know my wife. She said it was cringeworthy almost. He, he, he was not uh, a governorship and, and professional there. He's a GOP puppet. And I was at the America First Warehouse watching 2,000 Mules the other night. Eighty percent of those people are for Giuliani because they know he, he's a, a backs Trump. And he's a Trump supporter. Uh, Zeldin will not even mention Trump's name because he is not the strongest candidate win. And the GOP is making a mistake. And the Post, the media is putting their finger on it by backing Zeldin. And I can tell you, Zeldin, they said, I don't want to be crude, but he gave his cojones up to the New York State GOP. Because I quote uh, Larry Kudlow saying he's got a set of cojones. That's not true. He's shown he's a coward. And Trump came out here to West Hampton Beach and raised $4 million for him. And he won't go and go down with the man. He's not the man to win. He's a good man. Don't get me wrong. But Andrew Giuliani's got the it factor. He switched me over. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself on the line living here where I do by saying that. Zeldin got killed by uh, Bishop back in 08. He got slaughtered in that election. And he's never had an opponent. Uh, since 14, 16, 18, or 20, he's gone unopposed. Joe, a couple and of I- things. Joe, a couple of things. I did not see the debate, but I've read the debate. I did not. I don't think anybody wrote that he got slaughtered. Number one, Andrew Giuliani wasn't even in the room. He had to because of some stupid vaccine thing, which Republicans should be able to work out. That's that's total BS. Number three, uh, Andrew Giuliani does, does is very composed on his feet. He needs experience, and it does not work to. Lee Zeldin's advantage, like it doesn't work to Glenn Youngkin's advantage to say that I am a Trump disciple. He will not win because Trump cannot win in New York. He has to win the entire state. You could say, well, Donald Donald Trump's been a really good friend. I appreciate a lot what he's done, but I'm running as my own man. That's how you win in purple states. And this is a blue state. So it's not smart to say whatever Donald Trump says goes. It's not good politics. But Andrew Giuliani's got a lot of talent. He's a good communicator. 
Rob Astorino also has got a lot of talent, but Lee Zeldin, the best chance to win. New York Post endorsed him today. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Rick uh, Rick Macy. You remember him. He was de- depicted in King Richard, the movie Will Smith starred in, then overwhelmed it by slapping Chris Rock. It was a great movie. Uh, Rick Macy was great, played a key role in the development of both girls, the true story about Venus and Serena that is not over. Uh, Venus is not retired, and Serena's trying to come back in Wimbledon. We're going to talk to Rick about that. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. I find it quite interesting with the Fox News polling that showed on the question of which party is doing a better job preserving democracy, that Republicans actually best Democrats. They're not winning on that. And that's been their whole point with the January 6th committee. That was their point with impeaching President Trump twice. And and that's not working. Uh, That is uh, Katie Pavlich weighing in the January 6th hearing. So far, it looks like it is really petering out. We know a lot of the facts. They're horrific. We know that Mike Pence, the role he played, we know the bad legal advice the president was getting. And guess what? Approval rating-wise, according to the Fox News poll, still above President Biden. Number two. Look, if you go back different administrations, they've all tried to improve border security, some more than others, I would say. This is the first administration where it's actually taking several steps backwards. We're not improving anything along that border. It's getting worse. Uh, It is being totally left unguarded. Our border is being run by the drug cartels. One year since the vice president made her border visit and said, well, we made a lot of great progress, it has fallen apart. Why does she still have a job? This is an impeachable offense. Number one. There are several culprits. There's Biden. $1,400 checks, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it. So you get inflation. The Fed, mm-hmm. which also completely blew it. There's nothing good to say about it. That is Steve Ratner, Obama's economic advisor, President Biden. You're first sit down in four months and you're blaming everybody but yourself and your administration from what went wrong. You even have Janet Yelling apologizing for mislabeling inflation. And you still blame Republicans, Vladimir Putin and circumstances and a pandemic. Let's get started. Uh, Shannon Bream, Fox News chief legal analyst, anchor of uh, Fox News at night. And she has filled in this week also for Brett Barron's special report, author of The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons of Faith from Nine Biblical Families. Shannon, I'm just wondering why the President Biden isn't asking for forgiveness from somebody like you for just being wrong in a lot of his policies <laughs> and not being candid on what's gone wrong. But I have to think he doesn't see it that way. And I don't know if it's because um, he's got a good bit of healthy confidence. I mean, he talked about in this AP interview yesterday, like, I want people to feel confident. I think it was the AP interview where he said, I, I want people to feel confident. I feel confident. I feel good about where we're going. It's, there's not a guarantee that we're going to fall into recession. And so let's think positive. And I think that kind of is his default. I don't know if advisors around him are saying, listen, Mr. President, this is bad. People in their real lives are having a really tough time. Let's come out with a bit of empathy. And he 
did say in that AP interview, people feel really, really down. Like he acknowledges that people don't feel good, and all the polling shows that too. But somehow there's a disconnect that any of his policies could be in part responsible for what's happening now. Um, even if you say, like, it's not all his fault, there were bad co- conditions coming in from the pandemic, and there were all kinds of things in this stew, um, you know, a number of economists, as you've said, who were people that were part of the Biden, uh, the Obama-Biden administration, are saying, like, all this massive spending and things that we've done, we've gotten things wrong. And, and I think it would go a long way for him to acknowledge that. And, you know, he says a lot of the stories that we know get debunked. He says a lot of things that we know get five and six Pinocchios, and he keeps repeating them. And they say, well, he's getting bad advice. No, at one point, you have to take responsibility for it. But I also want you to hear, I mean, we played Steve Ratner. Remember, Larry Summers not only told us a year ago the rescue package was bad, he even told us last weekend. I think it's terribly important that we take the temperature down in Washington, that we recognize behavior that's just out of bounds of reasonable and decency. We give the Fed the room it needs. We bring down uh, the budget deficit. We take down prices directly through uh, prescription drugs. I think the optimists were wrong a year ago mm. in saying we'd have no inflation. And I think they're wrong now in being, if anyone's highly confident that we're going to avoid recession. So... <laughs> He's still saying it, and he's going the exact opposite of the administration. And Larry Summers' number is probably in Joe Biden's 1971 Rolodex. Mm. Yeah, it probably is. There's something I think is interesting, too, that this administration keeps doing on this point, whether it's uh, the president or whether it's a member of the press corps. uh, I'm sorry, his press team. They keep saying, um, we're just going to get out of the way and let the Fed do what it does as if they're completely powerless to make any decisions that would be helpful to the American people. And it, it also gives this appearance of absolving them of anything that's happening, um, because you'll see um, Karine Jean-Pierre repeatedly refer back to that when people press her on the economic issues. We're not going to mess with the Fed. We're going to let them be completely independent, and we're going to let them solve this problem. So there's just a lot of deflection, and I think at some point um, people, even those who you know voted for the president, want to see him succeed and are supportive of him, um, have this feeling of we need a little empathy from the administration at this point and, and a little bit of taking some responsibility. I would think so. I, I think it's just all fascinating to also see that he looks back uh, in the interview as you break down what exactly he's saying. He goes to the reporter and he says, listen, you know, you're pointing out all these negative things. What other major – I ask you a question. What other major country would you like to be in uh, that's in better position than us to be successful? And he says, uh, Switzerland. And he says, well, Switzerland <laughs> has its own problems. When I, saw, when I meant major, I meant major power. So he said, well, the America and the whole hemisphere, we're in the best position. And he goes on rambling to say this. Well, the reason why we're in a bad mood is we got the tundra melting. We've got the North Pole. I mean, so people are looking. And I'm saying I mean because that's what is written here. I mean, Uh so people are looking at it, and I think totally understandable that they're worried. They're looking around and saying, my God, everything's changing. I took my kids to Yellowstone Park. They call me and say, Daddy, we can't get to Yellowstone Park anymore. Uh, These are a thousand-year kinds of events. He also says we have more hurricanes and tornadoes and flooding. I mean, he's pulling out every stop to Mm -hmm. try to figure out what's going on in America, why we're so glum. Only two in ten say we're on the right path. 
It's confusing, though, to me. Though I, it, Sometimes it's very difficult to follow his train of thought, where all of these things come flying into the conversation instead of focusing on what um, often the question is. And I think we saw that with the Jimmy Kimmel interview, which seemed to be weirdly edited, which, listen, it's a tape show. They can do what they want. But the weird cutaways to commercials and, and wrapping up the president when he got wildly off track from what the original question was. And I don't know. Listen, he's always been kind of that guy, and we've uh. always said, oh, Joe. But now he's the leader of the free world. He's the commander-in-chief. And, you know, people expect him to focus and not start talking about Yellowstone Park and floods when we're talking about um, the price of gas up, you know, double digits and triple digits and, you know, all these things in the last year. Um, they want to point to Putin a lot of this, as we know, and the evidence is there. It's just factual. It's not a, you know, political position that much of this was already well happening and down the road before the invasion of Ukraine started. Um, it's just a complete disconnect, it seems, from any responsibility and reality, frankly, in many cases. All right. So I want to bring you to a little of the January 6th hearings. Yesterday, according to the L.A. Times, it was something worthy of C-SPAN. They are not seeing the deliverables, but there's some things down there that are clearly disturbing. Here's a little exchange, because I know you did the postgame show on night number one on primetime. Cut 22. When exactly did President Trump know that it would be illegal for Mike Pence to refuse to count electoral votes? Here is one sample of testimony given by one of the witnesses before us today, the Vice President's General Counsel. Did John Eastman ever admit, or as you know, in front of the President, that his proposal would violate the Electoral Count Act? Uh, I believe he did on the 4th. That was January 4th, two days before the attack on Congress. So they're trying to prove that the president knew that his, uh, his legal standing wasn't strong. That, to me, is wide open to another interpretation. Jim Jordan, Congressman Banks, excuse me, I talked to him on his own. He thoroughly believed that the election was stolen, and he thought that this did have some legal standing. That was a lawyer's interpretation of what Trump thought. And I'm not trying to split hairs because we know in the big picture Trump was wrong in so many ways. But this is the problem with the hearing, Shannon. I'm only getting one side. And Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are not even trying to see where the Democrats might have found fault on January 6th. Yeah, the thing is, you got to remember, you're going to you're going to take any advantage that you have, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, and you're fighting back against a loss, whether it's you know at the state level demanding these recounts or you know filing in every you know circuit court and county court that you can. I mean, if you're trying to win an election, you're going to pursue every option. And as the guy at the top of the ticket, you know, it's not surprising to me that President Trump would be like, "We can hear from ten lawyers, but the one who tells me I still have a chance to win, that's who I'm going with." That would make sense as a candidate, no matter who you are. Um, you know, I mean, it's clear he was getting plenty of advice from a number of people who said there isn't a way for you to win. It doesn't surprise me as a candidate that he would bank on the person who was telling him there was a way to win. Um, you know, the, I, I mean, the hearings, I think I have not seen anything shockingly new. Yep. I think it's it's interesting. But, I, you know, if they're trying to persuade the American people, um, a lot of the American people have no idea these hearings are going on. <laughs> they all think across the political spectrum, January 6th was a terrible day for our yes. country. But they don't even know that there's still this multi-million dollar multi-hearing thing going on. Um, they think it's awful, but they've moved on to other things that they're worried about, like putting gas in their car. So a couple of things. Do you know that we're building to this moment if you go back? 
back. You know, uh, Al Gore had to gavel down the objections on his own party when he was vice president to bring in George W. Bush because of the controversial on the hang up in Florida. And, you know, in 2016, Vice President Biden had to gavel down his own party who kept objecting to Donald Trump winning, saying that Russia won. And they have a whole list of people. And this chaos is seen. And then, of course, it culminated in things over the top on January 6th. Now, get this. I was stunned by this, Shannon. Fox News did a poll. Not that that they do polls all the time. But they asked people, who is a, which your favorable, what's your opinion of these four candidates? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, J- Donald Trump, Mike Pence. Favorable. Donald Trump on top, 44%. Joe Biden, 42 Pence, 40 Kamala Harris, 39 Through all this, through the suing, the January 6th, the second impeachment that didn't go through, all these attacking Republicans, primarying people— all that. Donald Trump's numbers have not budged. And he still he beats Biden right now head to head. I, I just think that's so uh, uh, interesting know. because you know that President Biden, like any president, you especially the guy before you when he was so controversial, you don't want for a second to think that he's more popular than you are. People are so mad at you that the guy you promised them you would fix everything because of everything he'd done actually has a higher favorable and lower disfavorable than you do. I think that's got to make the White House crazy because we've seen in these, you know, behind the scenes pieces that, um, you know, there's all this inner turmoil and the, the president is very upset. He doesn't want to be compared to Trump or to Carter. And now he's getting um, worse marks than Trump. That's got to be very difficult for this White House. It does. Who do you have on tonight, Shannon? I wish I knew. Um, who, who don't you have for sure? <laughs> um, you're not on. So it's going to be a lackluster show in that respect. Right. You might as well but, want to repeat. Um, well, listen, uh, it's Friday night, so I'm sure it'll be a party. Yeah. Um, we are going to, first of all, i got to stop by a special report. You know how it is, the multiple jobs. And then I'll see you at midnight. So I'm going to get my act together shortly, and I'll be able to tell you more. Oh, so wait a second. You're doing special report? Yes, sir. Wow. So I, I try to do one show at a time. I don't know about you. You may prep for all five of your shows at once because you're multi-talented and a multitasker like that. Well, you, I and you, wait, wait, one wait, bite at a time. And you have Fox News Sunday too, right? I do. You can let that slide by of a network show. <laughs> well, I mean, just that, you know, there's a lot going on one show at a time. So, yes, by the end of this weekend, the only person who won't be sick of me on TV is my mom. Well, I, you know what? I find that hard to believe. But do you know who's going to be on the Sunday show or am I bothering you? Well, I, I could tell you, but ah. there's something big we're trying to lock in and I don't want to spoil it. So that means you're going to have to tune in on Sunday. I guess so. But that was almost an anti-tease. <laughs> so you can interpret that as you want, but I hope we'll have something to tell you this afternoon that's going to be good. Great. When I'm off the radio, it's not fair to my radio audience. What am I going to do? Okay, Tweet? but you can talk about it on your Saturday show because you have shows seven days a week, basically. Right. Don't forget One Nation, 8 and 11 o'clock. Have you set your DVR or do you just know you're going to be watching No, I do because, I mean, who knows where I'll be, what's going to be happening. I don't want to miss it, so I don't want to take a chance. Let me just tell you this. I've known people that hosted that show. You Saturday night, you're staying in studying for Fox News Sunday. Exactly. Am I, correct? I will not be having a wild party on Saturday night. Please, I'll be going to bed. If, if Human Resources is listening to the show, please give her off Monday. She's going to be <laughs> no, exhausted. No, I've got something else going on Monday. Oh, really? Um, out in Las Vegas. It is a Fox thing, and I can't tell you any more about that. I have a lot of secret assignments right now. All right. I, I get it's some type of show. Um, it is a Fox event. I will say that. And um, to tell you any more, I'm going to have to start killing you if I'm giving you any more secrets. Well, by the way, you hurt my feelings. There's a Fox event going on, and I have to find out live on the air, and I'm clearly not invited. <laughs> 
my book, you're always invited. Everything is an open invite in my life for Brian Kilmeade. Shannon, good pivot. Uh, thanks so much, Shannon. Good luck with your secret life and your many shows. Thank you. You too. All right. When we come back, your turn, one 408 7669 I had to drag out Shannon's exciting life. You would think she was just having a normal day. She's, I mean, and don't forget, she's got the extra added bonus of it's, it's the time of year when all the uh, Supreme Court uh, decisions come out, too. That would have been good to bring up during her segment, Pete. Why do you, this is not the, we're not doing an after action report. I mean, you could, I, I, your mic is always open. You could have just chimed that in. I that, forgot that about is, that. That is true, but you feel bad. You guys bad? are on you such a bad? roll having so much fun. Okay. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Biden came out and said it's bizarre uh, the theory that their spending had any effect on inflation. But the San Francisco Fed, where Janet Yellen used to be president, has put out a study saying that almost all the inflation is attributable to Biden's plans. And so they're in denial. They're destroying the economy. And, you know, basically, Democrats in Congress need to step up and send an adult down to the White House and explain it to them, because while they're in denial, markets are panicking. Uh, they are. And this is I, I don't remember anything like this. I remember in 2008 just going up to people just saying, explain to me what's going on with these banks. I knew exactly where it was going. I knew exactly uh, what banks were in trouble. I, I was able to follow Hank Paulson as he tried to piece together and force these mergers together. I knew exactly why Lehman fell. And then you just figure out that's the problem. But now everywhere you look, there's a problem. Now, some of the stuff is out of his control, but why aren't we addressing the supply chain issues? Why aren't we addressing the chip problems? Why aren't we addressing the car issue? Why are we addressing gas and oil? And why are you trying to vilify people? Those are some of the things that drive me nuts about what's going on right now, but it's actually breaking towards the Republicans' way. That's why uh, I'm hearing these stories about them putting together some type of aid package. If I'm a Republican looking at uh, 8.4 or 8.6% inflation, knowing we printed too much money and spent too much money, the last thing I want to do is have my fingerprints on another spending plan. So that's why Joe Manchin reportedly is working with Chuck Schumer and Senator Wyden to put together a mini Build Back Better. I mean, are you kidding? A mini Build Back Better. At a time in which the Democratic economists say the spending got us here. They're about to spend more. Incredible. When we come back, we'll take a little break from this, talk a little bit of sports with Rick Macy, legendary tennis coach who famously helped launch and teach the, the, uh, the Williams brother to sisters. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The thing Serena Williams told me when I first talked to talked to her about Rick, she said playing with Rick Macy, play, being at his academy was one of the funnest times of my life. Everyone said it who played for him, how much fun it was. And, you know, aside from just talking to Rick, you know, one of the age-old kind of acting exercises, you, you, you know, that I learned coming up is write down every single thing that other characters say about your character. It's not about what you say about yourself, but th- that's how you figure out who the guy is. And everybody just talked about how much fun he had and how much fun he was always making it a game. If you had to get somewhere, he was racing. It was always a bet. It was always a contest. And um, I love that aspect of it. 
Sashan Barthol, who played Rick Macy in King Richard, uh, talking about uh, Rick Macy, who he studied and went, did some background on. Joining me now is, is Rick Macy, the, the legendary tennis coach uh, of the year and Hall of Fame tennis coach overall. Rick, welcome. Brian, glad to be here. I, I just jumped off the court, and I'm, I'm ready to tee it up. So let's roll. <laughs> so would, how do you think you were portrayed in, in King Richard? Do you feel, you feel as though it was accurate? Do we get a sense of what it was like, real, really like? Yeah, you know, the, the movie was a masterpiece, and everything was, like, so spot on. I mean, the walk, the talk, the clothes, it, the whole thing blew me away, and uh, John did a great job. And so at the end of the day, uh, the whole thing was incredible. Uh, so when you saw yourself being portrayed on screen, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I didn't really know exactly if they tell, you know, the true story because there was a lot that happened. You know, it's not like a highlight reel of Venus and Serena. You know, it kind of told the beginning, especially when they, you know, left Compton and decided for me to coach them. And, uh, you know, I took a big risk. You know, it's, I took a big gamble. It's, it's what I saw, Brian, under the hood. It, it, on the outside, there was like arms and legs and hair and beads flying everywhere when these girls were nine and ten. But there was a rage that I saw inside these two little girls. And I just never saw that ever before. That doesn't mean you're going to be world champion. But there was something inside these two little kids. And I knew what I could do. And um you know, as they say, the rest is history, but it all worked out amazing. So when you had Venus was the first one we heard of. And, you know, we watched her play, I think, at 12 or 13. And we remember the beads that came out. And I remember doing, I was covering, was working for another network. And she, they were doing something at Rockefeller Plaza. And they were doing it outdoors. It was just a show event, just to, I guess, whatever sponsor sponsored it. And they said, you see the short girl over there in the corner? They go, that's Venus's sister. She will be better than Venus. And I looked at her, and she was stocky, you know, totally different body. And I just always kept that in my mind. Did Richard always think that? I know in the movie it said that he said that to her. Did he tell that to you? Yeah, you know, what was interesting, um, you know, Serena wasn't as mature. And this is a great lesson for any parent, coach. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, at a young age, Venus was just more mature. Serena took longer to develop. But... You know, evaluating talent, you know, is, is in the eye of the beholder. And what I tell everybody, what you may see is different than Rick may see. But with Serena, she had, Brian, she had all the time in the world. That's number one. It's like she knew where the ball was going before you did. But the wild card, like anything else in life, she was just a brutal, brutal competitor. Even at a young age, she was a little pit bull. But... She wasn't that mature, but you could see by 12 or 13, uh, there was something special there. But Richard always told me nothing against Venus, but he always thought Serena would be better. But that being said, uh, maybe if there was no Venus, there'd be no Serena. So it kind of goes hand in hand. But listen, at the end of the day, uh, he not only had one, but he had two and they lived in the same house. (laughs) So, you know, that's amazing. And by the way, you, you put him up in a house, right? Yeah, no, at least I, I bankrolled the whole thing. It was a $92,000 motor home, and I put Richard on salary, and uh, they went from the outhouse to the White House. They had a you know amazing house at a five-star resort, and there was taekwondo and boxing and ballet, and uh, but the wild card with this whole thing was, you know, they were with Rick Macy four or five hours a day, and 
Um, you know, they had hitting partners and it was filet mignon on everything. And I was on a mission, you know, they were, they were already athletic, but I had to put Humpty Dumpty together. Uh, this could have blown up. There could have been a catastrophic injury. I mean, it was a big chance, but at the end of the day, uh, like most people, if you're going to bet, you bet on yourself. And I knew what I could do, whether it took four years, eight years, because I believed in Venus and Serena. I knew where it could go because Brian, back in the early 90s, uh, if you were big and strong, you weren't really nimble. I not only thought they could be number one in the world, but they could transcend the sport. And I told Richard that, and it's in the movie, you know, after I saw Venus and I saw him compete because in the beginning, I didn't see it. I, you know, on the outside, I didn't see it. But once I said game on, the whole landscape changed. And I told Richard, come here. And uh, I said, let me tell you something. You got the next female Michael Jordan on your hands. And he put his arm around me, Brian. He goes, no, brother, man, I got the next two. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But look, look how this whole thing played out. And I'm glad they told this story. And it's very inspiring. It's uh, the power of right. family. And I think a lot of people, even if they don't play tennis, can get a lot out of this. Well, a couple of things. He did make it. He didn't play juniors, right? That drove you crazy. And a lot of times you had to run interference between the, the kids and the dad, correct? Yeah, listen, I not I should be in the Hall of Fame, Brian, just for putting up with that guy for four years. But, <laughs> but no, he was listen, he was my best friend. And this is what I do, you know. You, the parents are on a mission. They're plugged in, especially daddy's little girl. You know, I had Capriotti, Sharapova, Pierce. You know, all these, so you got to understand, daddy's little girl's a little different, but yeah, Richard was a little bit out there, but that's the art of coaching, how to deal with the parents, because if I'd have drawn a line in the sand, it probably would have blown up in a week, but yeah, I ran a lot of interference, but at the end of the day, it wasn't about Rick Macy or Richard Williams, right. it was about Venus and Serena, and like I said, they, they were like my own daughters, and Richard was my best friend, so uh uh, we all won. Well, uh, you know, and by the way, it's not over yet because it looks like Serena wants to play at Wimbledon. Would I know she's got a wild card berth and she got hurt last year. Are you still in touch? Do you, what can the fans expect to see at Wimbledon in June? Yeah, listen. Yeah, still in touch. Uh, we all re- reunited at the after party, you know, at the red carpet. And, you know, that was amazing. You know, the stories. I mean, I got so many stories about Venus and Serena when they were kids. They were laughing and crying and on the floor. Because when you're 11, 12, 13, you know, you're looking at it through a different lens. But what can people expect? Listen, I know there's 127 people in the draw that don't want to play this girl uh, in the first round because it's going to be, you know, media everywhere. A great mental lesson. They're going to get a lot out of it. If she gets a little confidence uh, and if she's fit, never, ever underestimate the heart of a champion. I mean, she's just wired Brian differently, you know, so uh, and they've went long periods of times without playing and come back and knock people out. So nothing would surprise me. Uh, She's very different. And that's why she's uh, the greatest player ever to pick up a tennis racket in women's tennis. Here is Venus Williams talking in 1991, 45. There's a lot of sacrifice that you have to make. Like you can't like go ride your bike anytime or I don't have that much time my dogs too, as much as I did in California. But, um, you know, you can't go out to the mall like other kids and things like that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you remember that Yeah, age? Brian, that, that, that was awesome. No, listen, that was 1991, 
or 92 on ESPN. Uh, they were getting publicity back. I think we might have broken up. I think he'll probably pop back if I know cell service. Maybe not. Know what it sounded like? The, the ping game, which was like tennis. Remember Atari and the ping? Remember that? Yeah. And we just, yeah, it, it was Pong, right? Yeah. Right. And I thought that was good. I mean, if I played, if I was good at that, which I was, do you think I would have been a better good tennis player? You, you would have been not only tennis, but you would, have figured, you, would have been a, you would have been a gamer ahead of your time. You would have been making money before the gamers of today made money. Oh, and if I only stuck with it. No, the other thing I played was breakout. Remember that? You try to break through a wall brick by brick? Oh, yeah, breakout. Yeah. That was uh, exciting. You had to be really lonely to enjoy that game. <laughs> I guess it's the uh, the video game version of Solitaire. Right. So are we trying to get him back? or? Yeah, we're working on it. Okay. Hey, Rick, you're back, right? All right. Rick, you can hear me? Rick Macy? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, so I want to play Richard Williams. To me, is the still? I still can't quite figure him out. Cut forty six. This is nineteen ninety one. I thought that I could live through my kids, and and I uh, in nineteen seventy eight, I planned their career before they were born. I thought that I could make a million dollars. How did you think about that before they were even born? I seen a girl win a tennis tournament, and she made more in that tournament than what I made in a, a, a year. Man, you think these kids will make a million dollars? There's no question about it. They'll make one million look small. Well, he's right about that. I mean, but how much was natural? <laughs> how much was Richard bringing him out there in the courts at a young age? Yeah, no, up until, you know, they came with me at age nine. You know, they he just saw something. You know, the way they competed, Brian, it was all what he saw on the inside. And even that interview Richard did, that was with Chris Mortensen, ESPN, 1991 Greenleaf, and I'm sitting there going, whoa, I, I, I got a lot of work to do. I mean, you're just not going to wake up and be the best in the world, but that's a true story, and that's why he got him into that. I think he just saw the way they were wired. He just had two special little kids with the right coaching, the mm-hmm. right environment, the right opportunity. Uh, they could change the landscape, and uh, he was right. So – in terms of his intuitive is his intuitive ability, how would you describe it? Because I have met him. I also met at the same time Earl Woods, and Earl Woods was bringing up Tiger Woods at the same time Richard Williams was bringing up the the Williams sisters. Had a chance to interview both of them. I, Earl was critical of Richard. He says he's way too involved, giving way too many interviews. I've backed off. I'm letting Tiger take the spotlight. Did Richard Williams like the spotlight? Do you think, or was that just to make them better, or to deflect and let them grow? It was a great question, though, too. It was a shame. Um, yeah, we just lost him. Uh, unfortunately, I think we'll have to uh, end it there. Uh, we got it back? All right, we'll try to just... I'm here. Hey, so real quick, Rick, did you think that Richard was trying to keep the spotlight away from the girls to let them flourish? Or Earl Woods was critical of Richard, saying he was out front too much. He told me while he was leading Tiger, Richard was leading the, his daughters. Did Richard like the spotlight? Yeah, Richard loved the spotlight, you know, he, but it's a little different, Brian, with girls. You know, I think there was a lot of protection. Listen, Richard Williams was an amazing father. Every single day there was life lessons, but I think he was beating the drum. He liked the exposure. He was putting a lot of helium in the balloon, Uh, but he was a very, very confident guy because he knew he had the goods. And I think it just shows you there's not one way to the mountaintop. There's probably been many people do exactly 
what Richard did and, you know, it crashes and burns and they don't have any, you better make sure you have the goods, you know, before you start, you know, talking like that. But at the end of the day, uh, the best father I've ever been around. And I've been around more than probably anybody in the history of tennis. How many people you work with now? Um, no, I still teach 50 hours a week, seven wow. days a week. I jumped off the court to come talk to you. You know, I still have the juice. I still have the passion. And, uh, I, you know, I not only change grips, I change lives and, uh, yeah, every day is great, so I love it. Well, great. And my last question to you is when the whole thing happened with Will Smith, it overwhelmed what I thought was the, one of the greatest movies I've seen in a long time, and that was King Richard. What was it like? You were, you were at the event. What was it like when you saw Will Smith go up there at the Oscars? You know, no, a lot of people have asked me this. I know this is going to sound a little different for the listeners. Remember what I said earlier, the walk, the talk, the mannerisms. This guy became Richard Williams. And it happened during COVID. So it got extended a lot. He was probably talking to his own family like Richard. He became Richard. Listen, I'm not, uh, you know, endorsing anything that happened. That was beyond bizarre. But if you remember in the movie, Richard went off on that guy interviewing Venus about leaving her alone. And I just think for whatever reason, Will lost it. And he went up there and, and did that. He was... I think still Richard, because I can't come up with any explanation <laughs> why on the biggest platform he would do something like that. Because I met him, obviously he's a great guy, but that kind of uh, just threw a wrench in the whole thing, which should have been an unbelievable experience that night. Well, it doesn't take away what you accomplished, what you're doing, and, and how, what you're motivated. You're not motivated, it sounds like, Rick, to, to make the next Serena. You just want to uh, shape the next young, young uh, uh, boy and girl into a, a great person. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Brian. I enjoyed it. All right, go get him. Rick Macy, uh, still on the court, uh, bringing us inside one of the best sports movies you're going to see, King Richard. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, back to wrap things up in just a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think it's essential to have a free speech um, and for and to be able to communicate. Yes, communicate freely if there are multiple, multiple opinions. You know, and, and just make sure that we're not sort of uh, driving a narrative. In order for people to have trust in Twitter, I think it's extremely important that there be transparency. I think Twitter, in, in terms of like serious issues, can be a lot better in informing informing people about uh, serious issues. How many times has have, have the media gotten it right? Well, I would say almost never. Not, not never, but almost never. So that was Elon Musk. Uh, he was on with Project Veritas, but he also had a chance to talk to some of the employees. Clearly he wants it. I feel better about it. He, he was destroying it, ripping it down, trying to demand how many bots. He wanted to find out who his legitimate followers are. All those things diminished the price. The market fell apart. The, a lot of the, the stock he was using to leverage and make this buy had lost value. I'm talking about Tesla. A lot of these shareholders started getting nervous. So he drives the price down. I think he's crazy like a fox. He comes out. People are even saying that maybe he's not real, that he's just all showboat. And now we find out that he's pretty serious about taking it over. He's already set a goal. Uh, he wants a, a billion followers, okay? Not for him personally, but he wants a billion followers involved in Twitter. And he'll promote it. A lot of people are going to get back involved uh, thinking that it's going to be a level playing field, thinking the tolerance will rise for people to uh, get banned and not get banned. And that's why 
I'm less concerned about this disinformation czar, uh, czar that Joe Biden seems determined to put in place and Kamala Harris seems in charge of now because I look at Rumble. See how important Rumble is? I'm on Rumble. A lot of people I know are there. You see how Truth Social, see how well that's doing with President Trump? I think I've been on two months. I already have 40,000 followers. And now with Twitter, after Trump lost, I was down to 470,000 followers. Believe me, this is nothing compared to the, a lot of people here at Fox. But now I'm up to 685 or 687, I'm pretty sure. And the people just came flooding back to the platform and if we could just stop with the shadow banning, first time I ever heard that was Donald Trump Jr. So I want you to watch One Nation this weekend. Amongst our guests, Ainsley Earhart will do the news duel. Pete Hegseth on misinforming America, what's happened to our education system. That'll be great. We'll do a Father's Day segment with Anthony Munoz, who's running this Father's Day weekend over in Canton, Ohio, along with Tyrus, who wrote this great book about his life and talks about his interaction with his dad. Dad tried to kill him. He's tried to stab his dad at eight years old. That's how bad a guy his dad was. Mom's boyfriends tried to fight him a few times, put him through hell. But it's all made him a better dad. He went the other way. And then the big news is the exclusive with Greg Norman. He talks about starting this Live series, which is going to be a tour. It started last weekend and has 18 participants suspended by the PGA. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.